Thank you, Ms. Morgan. Outstanding. Um, I did receive a little bit more elaboration on Hannah Allen, um, and uh, it's, it's that she's in the hospital right now with high blood pressure, and they found a large mass above her kidney, so they're keeping her overnight, and uh, we hope to find out uh, more a little bit later, so let's keep her in prayers, and we're grateful for that very truth that Morgan's saying, that God is faithful, and He's faithful to hear, and He's faithful to work. If you didn't get a Brother Humbert's book, don't forget to get back by there. How many got one of these already? You got your copy, and, uh, and that'll be a great help and blessing. I also want to read a thank you from Brother Adelini, had a heart procedure, and uh, glad for God's protection and care. But Brother Adelini, Brian and Susan say, uh, Dear church family, thank you all so uh, much for your prayers and support during my recent surgery. The Lord has blessed me with a successful procedure, and I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you loving Christ, Brian, Susan, Adelini. And as I mentioned to him, it's a great blessing to be able to pray. Uh, we mentioned also the homegoing of Miss Barbara Hyland and her service, homegoing service, will be Tuesday, 3 o'clock, and be a visitation time here, 1.30 to 3 o'clock. And, and if you're able to help, we start school on Tuesday, so we, um, everyone is, is going full steam, and then uh, in, in school up till 3, and a little bit past, but we'll be adjusting for the service. But anyone who could help us, maybe with the kitchen, and, and also just some cleanup a little bit afterwards. Uh, we're looking at a meal probably around 5 o'clock-ish for the family. So if you're able to help meal-wise, see Brother Luigi Redmond, if you're able to help. Uh, this could be anybody just helping us get things put back together after that. Um, and then see Brother Cherry on the cleanup aspect. We're in Ephesians chapter number 6. and. We're going to look at verse number 10. We'll start our reading there and we'll go down to verse number 15 tonight. Anyone attempt to memorize these verses, at least working at it? I tell you, a number of times we read them, I think they just will be committed to memory. They say you, you read something a hundred times, you've memorized it. And so it's easy to do with as many times as we're going to keep looking at this. But let's look at this beginning in verse number 10. Let's stand together if we can, please. Beginning in verse number 10. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me ask you, how many would say that there are times you forget that very truth of verse number 12? You forget who you're really doing battle with. You can get caught up with flesh and blood and get caught up with those things happening. And so as I've mentioned many times and there beside that verse I've written, do battle with the right enemy. And so he reminds us of that. Notice verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And we looked at that one as the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And there we talked about the need for purity within our life. In verse number 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Tonight, I'd like for us to look at this third piece of armor, the shoes of peace. Shoes of peace. Thank you. Please be seated. Shoes do play an important role in our lives. And many a husband could say amen just based upon the amount of shoes your wife may have in her closet. Maybe it's the latest trend. Maybe it's because of some scientifically proven athletic shoe. Or it's an expensive name brand. Shoes have a significance and they can be symbols of something more than what they actually are. For example, Dorothy's ruby slippers. Or Cinderella's glass shoe. Remember when God addressed Moses in the desert and Joshua at the border of the promised land, he told both of them to remove their shoes, their sandals. Not surprisingly then that the next piece of armor necessary for experiencing victory in spiritual warfare involves shoes. After all, you can tell a lot about a person based upon their shoes. Brother Labine, I'm sure, could spot someone who's been in the military based upon their shoes. If they're keeping in, in step with how they would have had their shoes in the military. Brother Comfort taught us um, many a time to polish your shoes. Um, don't, don't keep them dirty and dusty. It says something. And he tells us here, and Paul emphasizes in verse 15, taking up that full armor of God, it includes and your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the term shod used in this statement refers to what you have on your feet. He already told us that we need to wear the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, but we also need to put on the right shoes. I'm not going to give you an outline. It won't be on the screen tonight, but there's some things you may want to just take note of. And one of the things here is a, it's a particular shoe. This is a particular shoe that he's referring to. A Roman soldier's shoes. They were a sandal that was studded with heavy nails. These hobnails, as they were known, were firmly placed and they went directly through the sole of the shoe and it provided durability, it provided stability, similar to having cleats in soccer or in football, a, a soldier could put those sandals on with these nails through them and it would keep him from slipping and sliding, making him sure-footed, making mobility in the battle easier while also making it more difficult to be knocked down. Remember, the emphasis here is to stand. God's people would stand. Don't lose ground to the enemy. So when Paul instructs you to have your feet shod, he's talking about placing yourself in a stationary position to stand firm. It keeps you from being knocked over. This creates traction, 
So when Satan comes, he can't knock you off your feet. Do you think Satan is going to try to knock you off your feet? But if you take on the whole armor, which also includes these right shoes, it will help you stand firm because the nails coming out of your peace shoes, they will be able to dig deep into the solid ground beneath you. And Christ is our solid rock. You know what it means to be knocked over from time to time. You know what it means to be knocked over because of the circumstances that you're going through. You can be knocked over and someone else seems to be doing fine. You know what it means to be knocked over because of your situation, because of friends, because of finances, because of a career, or any number of things that are happening in your life, things that make you feel unstable or shaky or cause just plain defeat. I believe COVID created a meltdown in our society, but what's worse is it crept into our church and, and churches, referring to across the board, that left a number of people feeling disoriented and unstable, not because of the flu, but because of being knocked down. So what Paul is telling us in this passage is, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to get knocked down. If you do, you don't have to stay down. You don't have to slide or move with every hit or trial. So these shoes will protect us from Satan. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it creates a stability that even Satan cannot undo. Remember, the goal of Satan and his demons in spiritual warfare is to keep you disoriented and defeated. It's to keep you on the defense. Remember, Jesus said of the church in Matthew 16, 18, the gates or the authority of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because the church is on the move. The church is on the offense. Jesus is building the church. Jesus is not speaking in terms of we're on the defense. He says, no, we're on the offense. And the gates, the authority of hell is not going to stop the onward forward progress. And so while Satan is trying to put you on the defense, God is equipping us or telling us how we can equip ourselves by his armor so that we don't have to lose ground. This is how Satan keeps you from experiencing God's purpose, God's provision, God's power, God's forward movement. This is how Satan keeps you from experiencing the blessings in your life. See, Satan knows he cannot take away your salvation, but he attempts then just to make you a miserable Christian. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it if you do not take unto you the whole armor of God. He can't keep you out of heaven, but he can make your time here upon earth to be quite a drudgery. However, one way to move from defense to offense and spiritual warfare and bring a little bit of heaven right down to earth is to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, this requires some understanding. Our feet shod with the preparation. Preparation. What is this preparation? Well, this preparation simply means readiness, a promptness, a speediness. You have anybody in your family? They're just not speedy. About the only thing they do, 
I, I knew not to look over Brother Miller. <laughs> uh, it said of, of some, the only thing that they can do fast is, is get tired. That's about the only thing that, that happens quickly, but I'm not referring to Mrs. Miller there, but you know, it's just some, you're just always just hurrying and hurrying. But there is a preparation, this readiness and promptness and speediness. 1 Peter 3.15, Paul says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sorry, I'm trying to get out um, some of Brother Miller's comments, and they're, they're quite funny when I reflect upon those as he tries to hurry uh, Miss Becky up. But anyway, um, putting on your peace shoes involves making yourself ready to deal with whatever comes your way. You could always do, Brother Miller, like Brother Autry does, just lay on the horn. And uh, my kids, when they want to imitate Brother Autry, they say, let's go out in the car and, and honk the horn. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, he's going to leave quite a legacy. Um, how do we get Mrs. Autry to come on? We just honk the horn. That's, that's not how he, he did when he was courting you, did he? He didn't do <laughs> no, no more, yeah, no more. So putting on your peace shoes involves making yourself ready to deal with whatever comes your way. We've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. Can you see a little bit more maybe of the need of spending time with God? Not just doing your devotions, but really getting into his presence, putting on the whole armor of God now, what is this gospel of peace about that we are to wear? Peace. Gospel of peace. Seems like today we see the word peace thrown around a lot all over the, uh, all over the place. The popular peace symbol is found on jewelry, bumper stickers, clothing, notebooks, tattoos, television commercials. Peace means different things to different people. In the Middle East, it can mean just the absence of war. To stay it, uh, to to look at it in in a person's life that maybe is involved in in investments. It could be just a time where the the stock market is tranquil. For a stay-at-home mom of three small children, it can simply just mean nap time. It's different to different people. But the concept of peace is popular in our culture. But in order for us to understand this third piece of the armor and experience victory in the spiritual warfare, we need to understand not culture's peace, but God's peace. This word peace is, and the Greek word is arene, and it's equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom. Essentially, arene, the New Testament, which is Greek in the New Testament, it embodies a completeness, a wholeness, an inner resting of the soul that does not fluctuate based on outside influences. Hey, it's right in keeping with our, it's not there, but our inside out. And this is what it's referring to. Let me give you that again. This arena, this peace, God's peace, it's completeness, it's wholeness. It's an inner resting of the soul that does not fluctuate based on outside influences. See, a person who is at peace is someone who is stable, calm, orderly, 
and at rest within. What's the opposite of peace? What would you think of as the opposite? Chaos, anxiety, what else? Turmoil, what is it? Fear, worry. It reminds me of a story about two painters who were asked one day to paint a picture of peace. Whichever painter could paint the best picture would be chosen by the judges and they would win $250,000. So as you imagine, both painters were highly motivated to paint the absolute best picture of peace that had ever been painted. The first painter set out to work on his painting, began by creating a serene portrait of a lake with the sun glistening off of it just at the right angle so that it sparkled across the top of the water. In that picture was a shepherd that walked near the lake with sheep following him at a distance. Trees stood off to one side of the lake with birds gathered in their tallest branches. After finishing his painting, the painter leaned back, took a deep breath of satisfaction because in his mind, this is what portrayed peace. The second painter took quite a different approach. In his painting, the sky was pitch black. Lightning shot through the air in a zigzag movement. This painter also had water, but his water were waves and his Painting had waves that thrashed as, as if they were somehow awakened from a terrible storm. Trees were bent down in the wind. The painting looked like a portrait of chaos, just like we described as the opposite of peace. But when you look closely at the second artist's painting, all the way down to the bottom on the left-hand side, just near the very edge of this horrific scene, you could see a little bird standing on a rock. The little bird had its mouth open as if it were singing a beautiful song. One faint light shone down from the darkness of those clouds onto the bird as it sung in spite of the situation all around it. That second painter won the competition. The judges chose him, chose him as the winner because he showed the truest manifest, manifestation of peace. A peace that resonates from within, despite all that was going on round about it. See, peace doesn't require desirable circumstances. Peace doesn't refer to an inner calm when all around you is calm. When you are surrounded by tranquility, you're supposed to be calm. That's why you go into a, a spa. You go into a place where there's a calming down uh, atmosphere. You're supposed to feel calm by that. When we first got married, uh, we, I, I grew up sleeping to a fan. I only had one fan in my life, and that was the one that was a box that I plugged in. And, and, and so we carried that into marriage, and Christy slept to absolute silence. Her philosophy was, I just want to hear whoever breaks in before I shoot them. And, um, and I said, I'd just rather not be a part of the equation. And so I, we had a conundrum. And um, so the first year, we also made some resolutions. And one was that we wouldn't have a TV. And uh, so we, I grew up with the TV. I mean, we, what are we going to have for food? Well, it was a TV and whatever meal we had. We just sat around a TV and, and, and it really was a terrible, terrible thing to grow up with, but it just was 
um, such a going to a restaurant, TV's on, weather channel, I'm just glued to the weather channel. It's just, it just was a bad, bad thing. And thankfully, the Lord helped over time with that to not be distracted from such a thing. But we made a compromise that first year. We'd have no TV if I could have my fan. Well, we ended up also trying to find maybe other ways not to have a fan. So I thought, well, we'll listen to relaxing sounds. So I remember getting a CD and putting in a CD of nature sounds. It was water flowing, birds chirping. And I ended up having to stop that because it just made her get up and go to the bathroom every 15 minutes. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that wasn't working, helping us sleep at all. But you know, the idea is when you listen to things like that, it's supposed to bring a calmness. When you experience godly peace, the idea is that you can be at rest even when everything else is wrong. See, some people are so conditioned, it's a good day, therefore I feel good. The bottom fell out, this is going to be a bad day. But Bible peace is, it's a good day every day. In fact, here is Paul's philosophy. The book of joy, which would be what book? Philippians. Here was the joyful man who wrote the gem of joy, the, the, the wonderful book of Philippians. He said this, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, you, you take and, and in between those living or dying, it's good. It's all good. Why? Because there's something that he talks about in this matter of joy we're going to get to. He even talked about this matter of peace and its significance. See, thunder and lightning may be chasing each other all around you. The wind could be blowing unexpected and unpleasant circumstances you're facing in life. Nothing looks right. Nothing looks promising. All is dark. But it's exactly in those moments when true peace, true peace, it wins the battle. This is because even when you're experiencing chaos on the outside, the tranquility of God's peace on the inside is what eases your mind and soul. Now, peace can be puzzling. The Bible teaches that the peace of God is so opposite to the natural way of responding to life's trials that we often cannot even understand it. It's just contrary to what may seem natural. But remember, Jesus saved us from the natural man to experience the supernatural of his divine nature. Now, God's peace, it is a protecting peace. God's provision of peace is able to guard you from the enemy's tactics. See, this peace goes to work for you in spiritual warfare by guarding you from the enemy's tactics. Philippians chapter 4, we mentioned Paul's writing on the jewel of joy. He says in chapter 4 and verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all, all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, God offers us a peace that reaches beyond comprehension. We just can't comprehend why is it that there is a tranquility on the inside when there is such chaos on the outside. A picture 
of world's way of dealing with chaos would be the disciples in the boat when the storm came about. Ah! Don't you think we're going to die? But God's peace is Jesus sleeping in the boat. Hey, even when he's asleep, he knows what's going on. Even when he's asleep, it's all under control. When we receive and walk in that peace, it settles in as a guard over our hearts and over our minds. This is the peace that cradles people who have lost their jobs. This is a peace that cradles people who have lost their jobs so that they don't lose their minds. This is the peace that produces praise when there's no paper in the bank. This is the peace that restores hope in the face of failing health. This is the peace that is so powerful that we're instructed in Philippians 4, 7, let it control you. Let it control you. We are taught to let it, peace, call the shots, make the decisions, dictate our emotions. Colossians 3.15, listen to it. And let the peace of God rule in our hearts. The Greek word used for rule, it literally means to umpire. Peace is to be our umpire. What is the main job of a baseball umpire? Well, he declares the way things are. He declares a pitch to be a ball or a strike. He calls a runner out and then the runner is out. The game is centered around what the umpire calls. Likewise, the peace of Christ, Bible peace, Paul says, is to make the call in your life. The reason this is so important is that life is going to serve so many choices and opportunities for decision making. We wonder, which job do we take? Which conversations should we have? Which person, person should we marry? Do I go on this trip? Should I spend this money? Should I attend this event? Where should I live? What should I do? And God says, allow peace, God's peace, to be the umpire in your life. He will call the shots. Amen. See, if you align your thoughts and your desires underneath his comprehensive rule over every area of your life, you will walk in peace. He will calm your heart. He will calm your mind by giving you that inner tranquility and peace. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where all the facts seem to line up one way and it seemed to be fine just looking at it, but on the inside you're thinking, I just don't feel right about this. There just isn't any peace attached to the decision. I have. I mean, you look at it, it looks right. It sounds right. Everybody else looking at it says it's good. But there's something better than it's good. It's the peace of God. Oftentimes in a situation like that, you should wait to make that decision 
Because the confirmation of God's peace is not there. If the peace of Christ is ruling, that automatically means the peace of Christ is present. When it's not present, something else is in charge. And self has a very uncanny, very unstable way of creeping in and saying, it looks good, feels good, I think it's good. Um, Tree looks good, fruit looks good. But the problem was God's peace was never there. And Satan convinced her and she convinced her husband and they entered into sin. Something else that could end up taking us, we're talking about something that's good, not not something that's blatant sin. But whatever it is, if there's no inner peace ruling your heart and your mind, you've taken off your peace shoes that God especially made for you. And you don't have on all the armor that's needed. You know, Jesus gave us a great example of this. He provides, in fact, I think a powerful example of peace in the midst of chaos the night he was to be crucified. Jesus was about to go into a very non-peaceful, hostile, middle-of-the-storm situation. And here's what he said the very night he's going to the cross. John 14, 27, he says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's John 14, verse 27. See, Jesus was saying that his peace is different from the world's peace. The world might offer you peace in a pill, peace in a song, peace in entertainment, peace in in an injection, peace in a relationship, peace in a Louis Vuitton bag, peace in a variety of ways. But the problem with the world's peace is that it only lasts as long as the thing lasts. The pill wears off, the clothing wears out, and the entertainment ends, and so does its peace. But the peace that God gives... It produces rest, listen, on the inside, and it remains. See, no matter what's going on around you, even, listen, even if it's the cross, you can still have peace. You can handle it. You may not like it, but you can handle it. Jesus says that is the kind of peace He wants you to have. In fact, he told his disciples in John 16, verse 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, in order to overcome something, in order to overcome something, you have to have something to overcome. They cannot be overcomers if there's not something to overcome. In other words, you don't graduate from school until you at least go to school. 
And in order to graduate, you've got to pass. Now, that's something that the public school system hasn't figured out. But in most common people's minds, you graduate from something because you attended and you overcame it. And Jesus is saying, in the world, you're going to go through some stuff. But you can overcome it because of my peace. Peace is always tied to overcoming something. We're the ones, we're the ones that are the salt and light pronouncing to this lost world, especially at Christmas time. Peace. But peace is always tied to overcoming something. You won't truly know that you have peace until something goes wrong because everyone can feel peaceful when everything is right. But it's in the midst of a struggle, a battle, a war an addiction, a conflict, or any number of things, that's when you discover the need to cover your feet with the shoes of peace. So, that leaves me with the question, how do we cover our feet with peace? Well, notice again in verse number 15, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I think the secret here is in the gospel. We have been instructed to put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, and it simply means, you've heard it said, gospel literally means what? Good news. Good news. This word, euangelion, was frequently used in the New Testament, but rarely would you ever find it used in classical Greek or Koine Greek. And the reason why is because in either the formal Greek or informal Greek, this good news, euangelion, this gospel, it was just so good. In fact, it was too good to be true. Yet it was true. And it is true. It was a reserved word for special usage. That's why it's important that we see its heavy usage in the Bible because it's a so good to be true kind of word to the natural eye. What comes packaged in the gospel is so good that it's too good to be true. But when it comes to the child of God, at the heart of the gospel, we understand it to be the death and the resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sins. Listen, but the good news of the gospel, it's so much more than that. It is so much more than just the death and the burial and the resurrection of our substitute and savior. See, most people apply the gospel only to what it takes to get them to heaven. However, the gospel has an awful lot to do with us here and now, right at this moment in our journey upon earth. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. If you want to turn there, Romans 5, and notice, I want you to see the significance of this. Because here we see the, the weight and impact of the gospel, not just to get us to heaven, but to do its work in our lives here and now. Verse number 6, for when We were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God 
commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, now notice, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, in other words, we are saved for heaven through Christ's death, but Jesus is also our great deliverer, delivering our lives in the here and the now through his life. In the Christian circles and churches today, we're familiar with the gospel of Jesus' death, the good news of his death, but we've often missed the gospel of Jesus' life. That's where revival comes from. It comes from the good news of Jesus' resurrected life. See, when you accepted Jesus Christ, we, we saw this in Galatians as we're, we parked on this. You were justified in God and his legality because of the work that Jesus did. He declared you justified just as if you had never sinned. However, the rest of your time on earth, you're being sanctified. And God is the one who will do this. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It reveals in greater depth what I'm saying. And the very God of peace. Brother Cherry, can you put that one up there? I want them to see this one. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when Paul writes, the God of peace and the very God of peace, he is saying, it's a reflective pronoun here, that God will sanctify you it is God who does the sanctifying just as it was God who did the saving. It is God who does the sanctifying apart from anyone else's help. And notice the order that God sanctifies. Notice. Um, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. I pray God your whole, say the word, spirit. Then what's next? Soul and then body. It is in that order. Spirit soul and body. See, God doesn't start with where we put the primary focus and that is our body. He doesn't start with the body that goes to the soul and then winds up at the spirit. No, God starts at the starting place of inside out because it's the spirit within man where the Holy Spirit resides. And as we are nourished in the Spirit, God starts at the place where we can be nourished and we can grow. And that influence of the Spirit, it tells the soul, that's our mind, that's our emotions, that's the us, that's our will. And it tells the real you, it tells your, yourself, what you're going to do. The Spirit is influencing. The Holy Spirit within your spirit influences the soul and the soul then tells the body what's going down. This is that sanctifying process and it's the God 
of peace that does this sanctifying work. It's the God of peace that does the reviving work in our lives apart from anyone else's help. This is an important truth because it lets us know why so many of us are unable to find lasting peace. I asked the choir to sing at the last minute that song about everlasting peace. See, too often God's people, we're marching to the tune of backward Christian soldiers. We're trying to whip our bodies into spiritual shape without the help of the Holy One and the only one who can sanctify and revive and restore us from within. You say, I'm, I'm going through the fire. Well, that's where peace does its perfecting work. In fact, if you don't go through the fire, you don't need peace. But many times going through the obstacle and the trial and the fire, it reveals whether or not you're experiencing God's peace or peace of something else that will not last. You want to be able to stand and not lose ground? You're going to have to take unto you the whole armor of God. And you can say as the psalmist in Psalm 37 and verse 25 after you've put God to the test, Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Why? Because it's the peace of God. Let's make sure we don't skip over this item in particular. Let's stand together, please. Lord, thank you for providing the necessary equipment and all the equipment and that we can be fully equipped. Lord, help us not to look at what you've given to us as a buffet and pick and choose. Help us not to lean into our own understanding, but help us to trust you with all of our heart and all of our ways acknowledge you. And we thank you for the great work that you're going to, there are things that we're going to face, trials that need to be overcome, but that's where your peace, it protects, it guards our heart, it protects, it calls the shots. And I do pray that you'd help us to experience some overcoming power because of the peace of Almighty God. And we thank you that you don't need the help of anyone else to sanctify us in our spirit, soul, and body. So Lord, we give you praise for that. We do ask for your help in this invitation time. For I believe that the devil is calculated in helping trip us up and causing us to fail to take by faith the gifts that are part of the inheritance that you've provided us. But help us tonight by faith to trust you, to take it, to thank you, and to go away properly equipped. And to each and every day, throughout the day, make sure we have the right armor. We are fully clothed. And we're able to stand and not lose ground, but stay on the victory ground, on the victory side, and the victory that you have provided. We love you, Jesus. Pray for your help at this invitation now. As the piano plays, let me invite you to do business.